0: I'm here with Matt Kaplan and Sarah al Ahmed. Matt is the um, current uh, host of Planetary Radio, which is the Planetary Society's podcast. Uh, uh, He's stepping down at the end of um, 2022. Sarah is picking up where he leaves off uh, at the beginning of 2023 as the host of uh, planetary society so since it's the christmas season i guess matt that means you're the host of planetary society radio uh past and Asked. present and uh sarah <laughs> you're the host of planetary radio uh yet to come so uh, i'll make sure to wear the long creepy cloak you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> gotta get a skeleton hand to yeah. point to things yeah uh,
0: well thank you both for joining me this is this is great i'm really excited to talk to you,
2: to you it's a great pleasure yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Uh, so, Matt, let's start with you. Um, you indicated to me, I think, that you um, you actually loved space before you found Star Trek. Is that right?
1: It's true. It's and true.
0: So how did you find space? How did you find your love of space? And then how did you find Star Trek?
1: Well, uh, space, probably, I don't even know how, because I was so young. How young was I? I was like, maybe a toddler, not much beyond that because I'm old and I can remember the Mercury launches. I can remember running to the television as a little tiny kid to watch Mercury launches and was so into it as a lot of kids were at that time. And you know, building models and reading about space. And I remember telling my mother that I was gonna read every book about space in our, in our local public library, which was a little hole in the wall storefront public library. So that wasn't that big a deal. Um, and I did not get that done, uh, but I still love reading about space. And, and, you know, that led in a way to science fiction. Uh, Robert Heinlein, one of his juvenile books that a friend of mine turned me on to. And, you know, then watching what science fiction was available on TV, Lost in Space. But then, you know, I remember being so excited because when I was 12 years old, Star Trek uh, premiered. And uh, life was changed.
0: <laughs> and what is it about Star Trek that drew you in? You know, at first,
1: I suppose it was that it painted this um, technological vision of the future that seemed attractive to, you know, a kid who was uh, wrapped up in spaceships and stuff like that. Um, but you know, I quickly learned that this was a plausible future and a desirable future universe and uh, one that I wanted to live in. Uh, and uh, like so many people, you know, you go to a Star Trek convention and you you see that amazing diverse group of people and they all are just thrilled to be there because they want to identify with this this future, which is, you know, not always perfectly written and not always, you know, perfectly good, uh, section 31 and all that. but um, uh, and uh, but but still, is a place where we want to be. And that, that, of course, was Roddenberry's vision. That was what he talked about at the time. That's what he you know, told me in the, in the couple of times that I got to interview him. And uh, I, I think, I'm sure he would be very pleased to see that it continues so strongly today.
0: I will circle back to a couple of the things you mentioned, but first I want to hop on over to Sarah. Same question for you. How did you discover Star Trek? How did you discover space? Um, you know, and were those two things linked or were they separate? Uh, Tell me your story.
2: I mean, very much linked for me. Um, it, It started long before I was born. Really. My mom was a huge Star Trek fan when I was, you know, when I was a kid and it, it kind of, it really inspired her to love space and she, she didn't have a really solid science background, but the future that it painted for her, it, it, it made her want to teach me and my brother about space as much as possible. And then when she got older, she got into Cosmos, which was something that she shared with me before I was old enough to really, you know, understand what I was watching. And then of course, Next Generation came out when I was very young and we watched it together as a family and it had a huge impact on me. And by the time you know, Captain Janeway came around I, you know, I think a lot of little girls who had, you know, watched the show as a kid at some point, maybe like my mother, she turned to me and she said, you know, this is a woman who's captaining a spaceship. Never let anybody tell you that you can't do what you want to do. Right. Which was, you know, great for me because I I loved space with or without Star Trek. I think it might've happened. But by the time I was six, I was committed. I was like, if I can't be in Starfleet, I'm gonna at least. I'm gonna discover other planets. I'm gonna become an astrophysicist. I'm gonna teach as many people about space as I can. So, they were very linked, and to this day, I'm a I'm a huge Star Trek nerd. So, <laughs> I,
1: Rick, I don't want to say that that uh, her being a Trekkie is why we hired Sarah, uh, <laughs> but it didn't hurt.
2: It didn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's always good to hire a Trekkie. <laughs> yeah, they 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 do this thing yeah, at least in my interviews where they kind of give you that that question that little bit of uh spicy question which is you know star trek or star wars yeah. and i'm like that is hard <laughs> but i mean it's definitely star trek for me even though i have been seen cosplaying as a jedi on occasion uh,
0: so matt uh you mentioned that you had talked to Roddenberry a couple of times and we were talking a little bit about it before we started recording uh tell me about that how'd you meet him um you know how'd you get to interview him
1: I was uh, very busy at my college radio station space and radio, I always tell people my two favorite things outside of family, and I really got my start in, in our little college radio station at UC Irvine go Anteaters! eaters sure. uh, and Roddenberry this was during his dark period between the original series and the release of the motion picture and people starting to say hey why don't we do a star trek next generation and he could not sell a pilot he kept trying and so really the only way he kept his head above water was he would you know was on the college circuit he would show the original pilot uh that you know became the was it nebula or hugo winning um a two-part show that they opened with or you know uh spock uh basically uh, kidnaps the enterprise and takes his former captain pike back to uh you know i don't want to give anything away but anyway um 55
0: spoilers here
1: yeah so ron (laughs) he would show that episode and then he would show a blooper reel which was pretty funny and i mean we didn't have youtube and uh and then he'd answer questions and i got to talk to him backstage for my radio station and I didn't know what I was doing. He was terrific. I was terrible. So I never share that interview. Um, and then, you know, many, many years later, I had just arrived not long before at the Planetary Society as a staff member. And um, the the Planetary Society always had a very close relationship with both the Roddenberrys, uh, Majel and uh, Gene. And, um, in fact, he had written a letter on our behalf. Uh, to encourage people to become members as the society was just getting started. It's really a prized possession of the society. And uh, we were invited along with some other major uh, donors, uh, some staff, got to visit the set, the bridge set of uh, of uh, the Enterprise D. That's and it was a blast. And uh, by that time, Roddenberry was not in great shape. He was still just wonderful to talk to, but... He was, you know, getting near the end and uh, but it was it was very touching and wonderful to see him again and know that he had been around to see the comeback of Star Trek, which, you know, we're still enjoying today.
0: So you've been you've been with the Planetary Society long before Planetary Radio started. Well, Um, it
1: was about two years. Um, I started as a volunteer. I saw that they needed volunteers for uh, one of our big celebrations, Planet Fest celebrations, which are usually tied to some big event. This was going to be the landing of the Mars Polar Lander, which did land, but in little pieces. And um, uh, we had this big party. So I I volunteered and I ended up running audiovisual for the entire conference with thousands of people. And uh, soon after that was asked to join the society I couldn't do it full-time because I had a career at Cal State Long Beach, local university. And I stayed there for a long time, but I did go part-time. And I was hired to write content. And what happened was the woman who hired me, with the permission of our co-founder, Lou Friedman, who's still around, was just on our show a couple of weeks ago, to mark the 20th anniversary, um, she left. She quit. And suddenly, I was a webmaster. I didn't know an ounce of html i didn't know it was bad timing it was it was a tough time actually for the society but um uh i was there for two years before i uh got lou friedman and others to say hey yeah we'll let the kid try this planetary radio thing and we started on one radio station 20 years ago last november and um uh, and it became uh, the success that it is. I mean, eventually on over a hundred radio stations podcasting came along and we embraced that two and a half uh, over two and a half million downloads last year, last fiscal year. Uh, and uh, uh, I am thrilled now after doing this, having this weekly deadline hanging over me for 20 years to hand it off to somebody who's just going to do such a great job with it. Uh, and, and, uh, Sarah, uh, is going to, you know, do us proud.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Matt. It's funny, too. I only just, you know, I, I knew it before, but it only just clicked for me. I was here for two years before I to talk on planetary radio, just like you. There you <laughs> go.
1: Wild. And you got to tell people how we met.
2: Oh I mean, yeah absolutely. and and it, it's actually kind of on topic because we we were at the time in the Leonard Nimoy Event Horizon Theater at Griffith Observatory here, here oh, in wow. Los Angeles. Yeah. Um yeah, I worked there for about 6 years as a show producer and and teaching science on the floor to people and Matt Kaplan was a, go, uh, a guest on our show All Space Considered which is our our monthly, you know, space news show. And so he came to talk about light sail, and I sat in the front row right next to his wife, Adrian. So, and she connected us and, and immediately I thought this was the perfect opportunity to ask Matt, how do I get the job at the Planetary Society? <laughs> how do I go to there? That, that's the dream. And he had wonderful advice for me and years later vouched for me when I was applying. And I mean, honestly, Matt totally changed my life.
1: Oh, I went back to the society that after that trip, and I said, I met this terrific young woman. We we need to steal her from the Griffith. Uh, and it took a year, about a year, I think, something like that. But uh, we managed, and of course, you've been our digital community manager. That's what you're moving up from, having put that, gotten that ready to go. Really exciting stuff that's coming for the members of the society. But it's even more full circle, because Rick, I credit all the time the Griffith Observatory for my love of science, that and another facility that existed in LA. Um, But my parents used to bring me to Griffith Observatory before I could walk. And uh, I've had this long relationship there. uh, And it really generated, uh, probably made me the the science geek nerd that I am today. And so yeah, to to find my uh, successor there was uh, just perfect. (laughs) That's really cool.
2: I love that, Matt, that you you, you know, got to spend time there as a kid and that it impacted you because I taught the school field trips for 10 year olds for maybe about five years there. And it I always hope that I'll hear later that that someone was moved by that experience. And I, I know it's true because I, I hear stories from people like you all these decades later, I wonder how many people have been impacted by that building and the people that work there. It's wild. Hundreds of
1: thousands, maybe millions. Yeah. Probably.
2: Yeah. There's yeah. also that two-parter in uh, Star Trek Voyager that takes place there. And it's mm-hmm. funny because when I got the job at Griffith, I tried to explain to my partner, like, I got this job at this place I love. And he's like, well, I've never been there. And I'm like, well, let's watch these Star Trek episodes. <laughs> so his first experience with that building was literally it's... those episodes. And you've got to see the Leonard Nimoy Event Horizon Theater. I mean, it, it's it's wild how many, how many theaters and facilities across the United States Leonard Nimoy contributed to and I mean, it, it always felt really special to work in that place. And when he passed away, I, I mean, there was so much love that, that just, it didn't have a direction to go. And we, we didn't officially set up a place for people to pay tribute to him. Uh-huh. Nevertheless, hundreds of gifts started ringing that, that theater. People just kept coming to be there just to say goodbye and thank you. And it was, it was a beautiful moment. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm.
1: That's great.
0: So Matt, what makes now the right time for you to step away from uh, planetary? After twenty <laughs> years. Why Exhaustion. not go 40? <laughs> uh,
1: I, I, uh, it just you know I, I've said a number of times. If you listened, if you heard the first episode of Planetary Radio, and then didn't hear another one until last week's show, you would say, "Oh yeah, same show. It's changed very little in twenty years." That and and you know that's really probably not right. Um, it needs new blood. It's getting new blood. And um, uh, it's also that after 20 years, I mean, I, I really did the show on my own. And thank God, uh, we have just hired a, a contract post production support person who will work on the show with Sarah. Uh, mm-hmm. Because that kind of deadline, you know, turning out a show like that, with new content every week for 20 years, uh, it just got to be a little bit too much. And, um, and fortunately, you know, I've been asked by our wonderful COO, uh, the uh, wonderful Jennifer Vaughn, and Bill Nye, our CEO, you've heard of him, uh, to stick around. And we have some new things that I'll be involved with. One of them is our new digital community, now called our member community, which Sarah has put together, uh, which people will be hearing more about early next year. Uh, and And hopefully... You know the, the thing that I will miss, which I hope I don't have to miss, is talking to the heroes that I get to talk to every week, because that's exactly how I think of them. And um, I don't want to miss that opportunity. Uh, and and you know, I just yesterday talked to what I think will be my last external guest for Planetary Radio while I am host. Rob Manning, the chief engineer of uh, JPL. And uh, Andy Weir, the author of The Martian and Project Hail Mary, yeah. and I had dreamed of bringing these two guys together because I have done stand-up shtick with them on stage, both of them, <laughs> and I have, and they are brilliant, innovative people, and funny as all get out. And uh, sure enough, it was just, it was just electric. It was just a, a critical mass bringing those two guys together, and they knew each other, and they had a lot of respect for each other. I can't give that up. I have to. You know be able to stay in touch with people like this because uh it's the one of the greatest joys of my life
0: so sorry you're taking over in 2023 uh you told me you are um interviewing your first special guest today who's that gonna be
2: well surprise surprise it's matt kaplan uh <laughs> i i can't not interview him from my first show there are so many untold stories so many amazing little little secrets and fun things I've I've heard snippets of from uh Matt, but I want to know more and I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. But
0: <laughs> I
1: hope so. I hope so. Oh,
2: cool.
0: And is that the is that coming out the first week of 2023 or are you taking yep. a week off? Yeah.
2: Yeah. That will be uh January fourth, twenty twenty three. We're gonna we're gonna keep going all the way on through. Hopefully uh you know get everything done early enough that we can all still have our nice little holiday before we kick into high gear. But uh, thankfully, you know, as Matt said, I, I do have some backup, uh, which is fantastic because I do not know how you did it for 20 years by yourself, Matt. Y- you must have, I don't know, Android brain or something, or uh, I don't know, Time Machine. Positronic. <laughs> <Yeah. Yep. laughs> so Matt, according to
0: rumor, you never missed a show in 20 years and you hate reruns. So, <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Did you really do 20 years worth every week of play? and you had covid recently and you still did the show So I had a relatively mild of case of
1: covid <laughs> I had a I had a relatively mild case of covid and a relatively mild case of insanity uh I, I yeah I not exactly it's not that every show was 100% new about once a year maybe a couple of times twice in one year I would Take a major feature in the show, the main feature, the main interview, or whatever, and repeat that. Uh, but uh, every other show, 100% new. And even in those shows, we always had new content because the opening of the show is frequently very timely. We have headlines from our free weekly newsletter, the downlink, which anybody can see at planetary.org. Thank you, Bill. I hope the check's in the mail. Uh, <laughs>
0: really interesting. if If anybody that's watching has not has not subscribed to it, go pause this and go do that because it's
1: great. it's it's fantastic. it's, been, it's yeah. been a tremendous success for us. Uh, it's still a fairly recent development for us. Uh, And it's just a great way to catch up on what's going on, particularly in space science, planetary science, but there's other stuff in there too, including updates on planetary radio. We also have the what's up segment, which the only other person who has been on every single episode of the show is our chief scientist, my friend Bruce Betts, uh, who does, you know, what's up in the night sky. Uh, this week in space history, a random, random space, space fact, fact. <laughs> which always has echo behind it, and then our our trivia contest. And I'm very happy to know that he'll be continuing that tradition with Sarah.
0: Sarah, do you have any guests lined up other than Matt that you're looking forward to, um, or anything you're looking forward to covering? that you can Oh, talk-
2: absolutely! Yeah, I'm I'm really excited next week. I'm going to be talking to uh, Jeremy Graber, who's the uh, assistant launch director at. Kennedy space center. So we're going to be talking all about the Artemis one launch, which was amazing. Um, uh, gosh, we, we have some other guests coming up for a bunch uh, of different, Scott Bolton, you know, right. Scott Bolton. We're going to be talking yeah. about Juno and a little bit about ESA's juice mission and all the research that's going to be done and is being done by the Juno mission on Jupiter's moons. If, if anybody watching this right now, or listening to this hasn't gone and seen those images that Juno has taken of of Ganymede. And I mean, it' wild, absolutely beautiful stuff. Uh, so we'll be talking a bit about that. Um, I've got a guest coming on who's going to be talking all about the Mars microphone on Perseverance. That's really cool because we helped advocate for that. So uh, that one's going to be a little special for me because uh, the person I'm bringing on isn't just a scientist behind the Mars microphone, but started out as a rock star who had such audio expertise that he then got to work on this Mars microphone. So got some fun things coming down the line and I'm hoping, I'm hoping everyone I reach out to will say yes because I want to have that same experience as you, Matt. I want to talk to all my heroes. <laughs> this is going to be so much fun. Is there anybody you wanted to talk to, Matt, that you just weren't
0: able to, to get or you know, anybody you missed?
1: I'll tell you, um, the biggest regret I had uh, was uh, Carl Sagan. Because, of course, he passed away even before I reached the Planetary Society as a volunteer or a staff person. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I was in the same room with him once uh, when Viking One landed on Mars. We were in Bon Karman Auditorium, and uh, he was surrounded by major media, you know, the networks and major newspapers. And I was a scruffy college reporter. And, you know, it just as I've told people would not have been a good use of his time to talk to me and my buddies from KUCI at UC Irvine, sure. but um, I, I regret that. And then, you know, as a lot of people regret in our business, I regret that I never got to talk to Neil Armstrong. Uh, but uh, Neil, you know, was always reticent about talking to media folks. He was not the recluse that a lot of people thought, but he really just didn't like to. Uh, he didn't like the, to have a spotlight on himself. Um, on the other hand, I did get to talk to Buzz a lot. <laughs> Buzz Aldrin even drove his car once. but uh, so, but uh, And that was fun. Buzz is quite the character.
0: Do you have a favorite moment uh, in the past that you've covered on Planetary Radio?
1: Oh, man, that's really <laughs> tough. Uh, you know, I, God, there have been so many. Um, I have a least favorite moment. I know okay. that. That one's easy to identify. Share that with me. Okay. Uh, we were doing a live show, Planetary Radio Live
0: mm-hmm.
1: at the National Air and Space Museum in Washington. We had a, a good sized audience. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and I made a mistake. We like to, I like to bring on something representing the arts that was space relevant. You know, we've done poetry. We had a poet, the space poetry jam. We've had musicians. Uh, but uh, in this case, I had found a guy who uh, did uh, rap uh, hip hop stuff that was space related and uh, brought him on. He was not very good. Uh, And we had some uh, older people involved with the show uh, that who were my guests that time who were a little taken aback by the hip hop guy who got up during the break and was rapping about outer space. Um, and it's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that he wasn't that great. Don't tell him I said that, but then, so we already had that. And then, um, Bill Nye came off the stage and he had plugged in his, uh, uh laptop to recharge it. And he went over to our plugs, uh, our little outlet thing, and he unplugged what he thought was his laptop. He unplugged the recorder that was recording the show. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately it did not default to battery power. And so that show, uh, it was recording onto a hard drive and it was corrupted. And so we stopped for like an hour, half an hour, 45 minutes with the audience there. It was incredibly painful. Bill felt terrible, of course. Uh, And uh, it, it, did not was not able to air the next week we sent it out to a company that happened to be big fans of bill nye and wanted to help rescue the show it's one of these companies that you know retrieves lost data from hard drives they were able to retrieve the show and so weeks later much later than expected we were able to air the show but boy that night was that ever painful and you know on the other hand it's probably the live shows like when we celebrated right after the end of the Cassini mission, or when we were on stage at Caltech, mm-hmm. when InSight landed on Mars, I mean you cannot beat those moments for what Bill calls the PB&J, the passion, beauty and joy yeah. of uh, of space.
2: What but- I'm hearing is that I should label my plugs. <laughs> yeah. Just in case. yeah, yeah. And
1: make sure the batteries are going to take over if somebody trips over the cord or
0: something. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah that's a good advice. About six years ago, Casey Dreyer, who's the the his t- title is space...
1: senior space policy advisor and chief advocate for the Planetary Society.
0: There you go. He came to you and said he wanted to do a monthly uh, space advocacy episode of Planetary Radio. Um, this is sort of a question both of you can can weigh in here. Um, what is, what's so important, first of all, for anybody that doesn't know, what is space advocacy? And um, for uh, the next part of the question is, what makes it so important? How is space advocacy going to ensure a Star Trek future? Uh, why is it important for us to, to do? Sarah, you, you want I to go
2: first? I'm oh, sure. I mean, basically you're always gonna get to people more effectively if you're having personal conversations with them. So space space advocacy is all about reaching out to government entities or anyone in power that can influence whether or not space missions are funded or or how they're shaped. So you can have personal conversations with them to try to make sure they get the funding or get the green light that they need. You know, which which can happen in a few ways. It could be as little as as giving a call or signing a petition, but the most effective way is direct communication, either through, you know, video calls like this, or most most effective literally going to your government agencies, going into their offices, setting up meetings and having conversations with them, which I understand can be really daunting. So to make that a little easier, uh, every year we have a space advocacy event called our day of action and we will actually set up these meetings for people. Um, it, it's easiest for us with the United States government because we have you know, a deep connection with them and NASA, but we also try to provide opportunities for people in other countries to advocate for space missions. Uh, it's a little more difficult for us because every country, every space agency is different, but we're hoping we can continue to expand it because these are the things that that really make a difference. If If we want Star Trek to be real, people have to say that they care about these space missions. So, you know, don't don't be afraid to talk about what you care about and if it if it's space, we'll help you do that, but it's also a good stepping stone to make people feel empowered so that they have the tools they need to advocate for other things that really matter to them. So, I I'm really happy we do this. I think it's, you know, not the most important thing that we do, but but at least in the top 2, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I I, it makes a I, I agree huge with that. Difference. Yeah. And,
1: and, you know, this is partly why the Planetary Society came into existence in 1980. Um, our founders, Carl Sagan, Lou Friedman, and Bruce Murray, who had been the director of JPL, they saw that, you know, the public was very interested in planetary science. They loved seeing these little robotic emissaries of humanity go across the solar system, but it, it wasn't getting funded. A lot of money was going to space shuttle at that point. Uh, And so they said, we need a grassroots organization that's going to help people understand how important this stuff is, and how we can get people in Congress to understand that this is really something that's worth supporting. And, you know, I I think we've been very successful since then, and, and still are. You look at just two days ago, as we speak, NASA announced that they have set a launch target for the Neo Surveyor mission. Near-Earth Object Surveyor Mission, which is run by a good friend of the society named Amy Meinzer at the University of Arizona, used to be at JPL. This is an infrared space telescope, which is desperately needed. You talk to anybody in planetary defense who wants to make sure that we don't suffer the fate of the dinosaurs, that we see the rock coming and have time to deflect it. We need an infrared space telescope. And that's what Neo Surveyor, which is... That had its ups and downs for many, many years. We have been lobbying, or I should say advocating for that for years and years and years. And you've just seen uh, bipartisan support for this mission uh, come from Congress and NASA has said, okay, we're going with it. And uh, we're thrilled. And that brings up another great point. Space is bipartisan. Space exploration is bipartisan. I mean, you know, there aren't very many areas nowadays, where you can get Democrats and Republicans in the room together and say, yeah, this is something we all want to go for. And uh, uh, I think, if nothing else, ignoring the many other benefits of space exploration here on Earth, um, just the fact that it's able to be a, a bridge between uh, these two sides of our very much stratified, very much isolated uh, societies is, uh, is pretty much a uh, a valuable thing.
0: And you you were looking for somebody, the Planetary Society is looking for somebody to fill partially fill that role in Washington. Is that correct? Um have you found somebody? Or are you still looking?
1: As far as I know, Sarah, do you know, I think the search is still underway. I
2: believe the search is still underway. I talked with Casey Dreyer about it maybe a week or so ago. Um, There are some good candidates, but if there's anybody out there who who wants to be there in D.C. helping us do this advocacy work, now would be the time to apply. Because, I mean, honestly, uh, you can make a huge difference. And Who even knows what the future is going to be like because of the advocacy work that yeah. that this person and all of our members and supporters around the world have committed to it's it's absolutely stunning when you know when i was brought on to the planetary society i knew that advocacy was important but every time every time someone tells me a story of of some mission we helped get funded or some some spacecraft we saved or some some mystery we helped solve it's absolutely bonkers what it accomplishes and happily it's easy to do the advocacy work because everybody loves space Everybody loves space. It brings together, you know, people of different political views and and nations around the world. It's phenomenal. So <laughs> hopefully oh. we get a good person for that role. I'm, I'm excited to meet them. So if just give you- wants to apply, where do they go? Ooh, uh, you would want to go to planetary.org/careers. Okay. The posting is up there. Great.
1: I love giving these examples. New Horizons, Alan Stern. The, the, the guy behind that tremendously successful mission to Pluto and now beyond exploring the Kuiper belt. Yeah. Uh, he gives much credit to the Planetary Society as uh, the New Horizons mission struggled to find funding uh, for a decade or so. And uh, that, you know, very it's very possible that that mission also might not have happened, had not it been for the support of uh, the society and its members.
2: And I think about what happened, you know, with the, the Pioneer anomaly, we had no idea what was going on with that. They weren't, you know, NASA wasn't really committed to, to solving it, we rallied people, and we got that figured out. Or, or when, when Hubble's, uh, you know, <laughs> Hubble's images were a little blurry and it, and it was going to take some major, you know, fixing <laughs> to make that telescope work, we had to rally people to advocate to get that done. But I tell you, Hubble's still up there. You mentioned earlier that Bruce
0: Betts, who's your chief scientist. Does a number of things on the show, including trivia. Um, I don't know if you know this, but I, when I was originally brought on to uh, DSTN, I was brought on as the history and trivia writer. Um, <laughs> Did not a know year that. Year later, the the uh, creator of the podcast decided to move on, and she asked me if I'd take over, and that's how I be how I got to where I am today. Um, so in that spirit I have prepared a little trivia contest. <laughs> NASA sent a dart mission up into space and what dart does is it basically hit a hit an asteroid we wanted to see if we could move it in case one was coming toward the earth to hit us and ext- and extinguish us like it did the dinosaurs. So it was just a test to see if we could if we could move this this object. There's a Star Trek original series episode where they um, they oh, do that, sorry. where they try to move an asteroid in a similar way. They use their deflector shields instead of a instead of a missile. Uh, what was that episode? Okay, so actually,
1: there was also an. Uh, I you're talking about a next generation episode, I think. I'm talking about an original
0: series episode. Oh, an
1: original series. Then yeah, I know the one. I'm not going to remember the name of the episode, but Captain Kirk has his brain wiped by a device. <laughs> That gives him the ability to control a system which has been put in place by some advanced aliens to protect this planet whenever an asteroid comes their way. And sure enough, he falls in love. In fact, he marries an indigenous person. And then they get stoned at the end, I think, and she dies. And it's horrible. And, of course, he's rescued by Spock. Uh, and uh, but it was a, it was a wonderful episode. But if you want the
0: title, I'm out of luck. <laughs> I will give it to you. The title is the paradise syndrome. Yes. Ah, thank
2: you. Um, okay, one point for me. <laughs> you
1: know, this is an unfair advantage with TOS because I was alive and watching, so <laughs> that's
2: <laughs> well, true. I was very small when Sarah I
1: wasn't on you earth know. yet. Yeah,
0: I mean. <laughs> uh, well, the next one, um, maybe, maybe more up your alley. I'm not sure, uh, Sarah. So the Planetary Society in 2019 sent uh, LightSail 2 into, into the cosmos. Uh, it recently returned to earth and, um, and basically burned up in the atmosphere. Uh, LightSail 2 was a solar sailor. There have been a couple solar sailors in Star Trek, um, but there is one episode called Explorers of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where um, Cisco and his son Jake Cisco builds builds this replica of a solar sister, a solar sailor, and then he and Jake go out exploring the cosmos in this. What were they trying to prove when they by going out in this solar sailor?
2: Man, I mean, in my brain, the way I remember it was basically that uh, Cisco and his son should bond more is really what I think he was trying to prove. But <laughs> but the solar sailor itself, I don't know, I don't remember.
1: I don't have the full answer, but Cisco wanted to prove that the Bajorans could have made it from Bajor to another world, I think, in their solar system Mm -hmm. using solar sailing, much like the ancient, the old book from the 1950s, Contiki, for Heyerdahl, who made like a Polynesian boat and showed that Polynesians could have populated the Pacific Ocean even with their, or I yeah. won't say primitive navigation abilities, they weren't primitive at all. Am I close? I think you I You got...
0: are very close, you're oh. spot on. They were trying to get to Cardassia. Ah, yep. Okay. yep, 100 years what? ago, the, uh, some Bajorans supposedly left Bajor and the solar sailor for Cardassia. The Cardassians didn't want people to know this. They had to actually dug up, dug up the solar sailor on their world, but they didn't want the Bajorans to know that it had happened. So Cisco and Jake went and proved that it could happen. And suddenly the Bajorans were, or the Cardassians were like, oh yeah, by the way, we found the solar sailor here um, on our front.
1: What I don't remember is why any Bajoran would would have wanted to go to Cardassia, but uh, okay.
0: I, yeah, well, I don't actually think that was ever explored in the, uh, in the episode. I don't remember that either.
2: Right. <laughs> there was also that solar sail in uh, uh, strange new worlds recently, which I yes. thought was fantastic. And I, I did, I I put a, a side-by-side of the two images of like light sail two and uh, that solar sail together and put it up on our Twitter a few months back. <laughs> People loved it. <laughs>
0: Mars figures into a lot of the star Trek series, Uto- utopia planitia is where, um, where the enterprise was built, um, for next generation. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw an attack on Mars in Star Trek Picard. Um, we're setting our sights on Mars now as a, as a human race, uh, trying to get out there um, and colonize Mars. Um, the first time we saw the actual surface of Mars um, was in Star Trek Enterprise. It was almost the last episode of Star Trek Enterprise. And they went to the surface. We saw the, the Mars rover was out of commission, but was there with a plaque next to it. Um, and the plaque, uh, in, in part, read Mars Heritage Site, First Rover on Mars, July 4, 1997, but it also had um, a quote inscribed in it. What was that
2: quote? A quote inscribed on it. I'm trying to remember if it was a Carl Sagan quote. You're on well, the right track. I I I I remember, but oh my goodness, it's been so long since I've seen Enterprise. I remember recording it on VHS, so it's it's in my home somewhere. <laughs> um, I guess I'll take a hint, but I might have hinted myself.
0: Uh, you did. It was a um, it was a Carl Sagan quote. Yeah, it's I believe the quote he recorded it for the Golden Record.
2: Oh, oh no. Ah. Uh. Oh, gosh, there's so many good ones. It could be.
1: And you know what? I know the quote, but I don't remember it. It's 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 oh. it, it's a greeting mm-hmm. to future explorers about, you know, whatever has brought you here. We wish you the joy of discovery. Am I close? Is it that one?
0: But uh, The quote was, whatever the reason you're on Mars, I'm glad you're there. And I wish I was with you.
1: You know, it came up again just recently in something that we were doing, and I just couldn't quite place it. But yeah, isn't that great? That's um, uh, that's our founder, one of them.
2: Right. I can't wait until like hundreds of years from now, people are, you know, we have planetary society reunions at the you know, Carl Sagan Memorial Station.
1: <laughs> <laughs> here's some here's some trivia about that. I watched that on Enterprise and I went nuts. And I I wrote to my friend Andre Bermanis. Uh, who was working on Enterprise, one of yeah. the producers, started as a science advisor on track. I said, that was just the most wonderful tribute. And then I asked Andruyan if she had heard about it. And I think she said, yes, she had been told uh, that it was going to be coming up. Uh, but it was just, you know, to see that little thing, it had a little like a, like a rope around it, uh, you know, like a, yeah. uh, what am I trying to say? Those little On stanchions. stanchions. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and placed by the Mars Historical Society.
0: <laughs> it was perfect. <laughs> Which is amazing, <laughs> right? uh, Just for anybody who's watching who doesn't know, who's Andrian?
1: Oh, Andrian, of course. The longtime professional and life partner of Carl Sagan. Uh, they basically shared everything together and her brainwaves are on the golden record on the voyager spacecraft and it was recorded the day after they declared their love for each other and so those were those were some brainwaves <laughs> she's brilliant she's also she has continued uh, cosmos huge fan of and supporter of the planetary society largely responsible for us being in the solar sail business
0: yeah and you you've had her on the show a number of times i believe yeah Mary,
1: mm-hmm. many times we just had her on to uh, celebrate Carl's birthday. Some people call it Sagan Day. Just in the recent weeks, uh, a wonderful interview. She is just, I'll tell you uh, what Neil uh, Neil Tyson, Neil deGrasse Tyson told me once, we were talking about how amazingly articulate and, um, and passionate and, and just listening to Anne is just such a wonderful experience. And Neil said, you know what, when Anne gets into it, I just feel like i want to sit down on the floor cross my legs and look up at her and listen and i said i know exactly what you mean and you know she shared that with carl
0: in star trek (laughs) five the final frontier um captain claw we're introduced to captain claw who's this klingon uh and he's doing target practice on some space debris the space debris was actually an actual probe that went out that left left earth um and so what, do you remember what it was that Captain Claw destroyed?
1: God, I just, I completely forgotten. I mean, I've seen all the movies, of course, but I just can't remember. I'd, I would have to take a wild guess and say Voyager, one of the Voyagers, became before it became Viger.
2: yeah or maybe one of the pioneers
1: Uh, yeah (laughs) man no i'm sorry i don't remember
2: what were you saying sarah i was gonna say it might be one of the pioneers keep going
0: oh no (laughs) Mm. which of them Hmm. Um, it was launched in march 1972 oh
1: Oh, no okay
2: Yep, I'm not going to remember which one it is. It was Pioneer 10. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) We humans have put five of our robot emissaries into interstellar space, or they will reach it when New Horizons gets there. Pioneer 10, Pioneer 11, Voyager 1, Voyager 2, and now New Horizons will be there. Uh, uh, But Voyager 1 and 2 still talking to us from 22 light hours away.
0: Yeah, just
1: the most amazing thing.
0: Incredible, And nobody predicted that, right? Like, th- they thought no, that it'd be over. No
1: one thought that they would still be talking to us after 45 plus years.
0: Yeah, that is really, that is amazing. Can I share awesome.
1: one prop? that Yeah, I, that absolutely. please. I, because it's one of my prized possessions among all of my Star Trek paraphernalia.
0: Yeah. Oh, music from outer space. One you of my first albums. Play it?
1: I Bought it as a kid. Sorry about playing it.
0: Do do you still have a record player that you play? Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I have a turntable partly just to be able to play my old vinyl like this. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, I was I I bought it as a kid, uh, as soon as Nimoy, you know, put out the record, and he does sing on it, and I don't think it's terrible. Certainly no no worse than Shatner. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) You call that singing? Do you?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and and it does have. You know the actual original theme. You know that da, da 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 da. That is a whole song, which a lot of people don't realize. Yeah, uh, it actually went into the other Tos theme. And hey, you know what can I say? Live long and prosper. <laughs>
0: um, and what's what's your badge, Sarah? You're wearing a badge, right?
2: Yeah, I actually I got this. For myself and my one-year anniversary of working at Griffith Observatory, because I'd been in that Leonard Nimoy theater for so long, and I got it at Comic Con, so I had to get my Next Generation badge.
0: <laughs> That's amazing! It's really, it's really cool. Is it magnets or is it a pin?
2: Yeah, it's um, it's magnetic. So there's a, a thing on the back, but it doesn't actually work. One of these days, I'll have to get one of those nice uh, Bluetooth ones. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, thank you so much, both of you, for for joining me. This has been a real delight, and um, I can't wait to see what you're going to do with Planetary Radio in the future, Sarah. I'm really excited. Uh, And Matt, you will be missed, um, but I'm glad you're still going to be around the Planetary Society and we'll hear your voice from time to time, I'm sure. So Absolutely.
1: Hope so. Thank you, Rick. This has been great. Really fun.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad. Thanks so much. Uh, Have a great day, guys. You too. You too. Thanks. Bye.